Uh, last, uh, I keep wanting to say this past week, but two weeks ago, when we had the opportunity to go to um, San Antonio, one of the things we do on that trip, we always try to step out of our comfort zone and do new things. Uh, that's one of the things that we do. And so um, our, our host sets that up for us, and so he, we never know. We Literally, we get on the plane, and we don't know what we're going to do until we get there, and a lot of things we don't know until we pull up in the parking lot. So that's incredibly refreshing to me who, in my job, spend a lot of time planning and organizing and doing things. So it's really nice to go and go, get up in the morning and go, I got no clue what we're doing today. Somebody else has got it all planned. Um, and so it, it's kind of fun, but one of the things that was planned for us uh, this past trip was to, um, to, to, we met with an outfitter and we took some fly fishing lessons and we got to fly fish on the Guadalupe River. Uh, and I guess trout are still in season there. At least that's what we were told. Uh, and so, um, and that's kind of one of those bucket list things for me. I've always wanted to learn how to fly fish, okay? But in order to do that, uh, we had to get a license in order to have a out-of-state fishing license thing. And now that we have like a conservation person in the church, I got to dot my eyes and all that. So anyway, I mean, I would have done it anyway, but... Um, I know that's the question I'm going to get asked now. You know, well, how much was your license? It's like, uh, uh, so we got a license. Uh, we went to a convenience shop slash bait shop slash gas station. Uh, I don't know that you'd want to eat there, but that's where they were selling fishing licenses. So we go in and, 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 and the machine, you know, again, they don't do a lot of fishing licenses, so the machine wasn't working right, and the cashiers were getting frustrated, and so we were there for a longer amount of time than normal. But we noticed when we went in, there was a sign on the door that said, um, I thought it was odd, it said, um, if you give us a counterfeit bill, uh, we will not give it back to you. I thought, well, that's kind of odd. I mean, who's going to pass a counterfeit bill and then go, oh, I want that back when it's been identified as counterfeit? But then they, they, I, I, we go up to the cashier, I see another sign like that and then i see a whole article about counterfeit bills that are being passed in that area a lot of people that would hand them the counterfeit bills didn't realize they were counterfeit okay and then they would go oh well 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 let me have that back well what happened is they had so many passed in that area and particularly in this convenience store that um they had started to have to collect them for the fbi because it was past the idea of there were just a few. There were a lot of these being circulated in the area, and now the FBI was involved. And so we got to talking to this gal, and we're talking to her, and she goes, um, yeah, she said, we get a lot of counterfeits here. And she said, um, she said, have you ever seen one? And I went, no, I want to see a counterfeit bill. So she goes, yeah, here's one. I'm waiting for the officer to come and pick it up. And she hands me, hands us a $20 counterfeit bill. And we're looking this thing over going, this is, this, is, this is pretty scary. Because it really looked like, everything looked like it was supposed to look. But when you put it in your hands, you could tell. If you knew that it was a counterfeit, you could tell the paper was different. So we start playing with the paper a little bit. And I asked her, I said, you know, I said, you guys got a lot of just, you know, you got a lot of workers in this store. How is it that you guys are catching so many? And she said, oh, let me show you. And then she pulled out a, a, a $20 bill, a, re, a real one. I, I have one in my wallet. My wife hasn't gotten from me yet. Um, so, <laughs> so here's what she said. She said, rub your hand over the $20 bill. So we did. And she said, feel how it feels. And I was like, okay. She said, now, rub your hand right across in here. 
And what has happened is when they print these real dollar bills, there are ridges in there. And you can actually feel the ridges and the difference between smooth and the little ridges. And if you have fingernails, you can actually catch them a little bit as you go across. Um, I thought about having all of you with 20s take them out, do that, and then we'll collect them. Um, but no, I didn't. Um, I'm not going to do that. But I mean, and so, so sometime play with it, and you can see that there's ridges in it. And she said, so <clears throat> we've taught our people that, that, you know, that's one of the ways to check. You can check um, because sometimes the pen works and sometimes it does. And she said, so that's how you can check. And I was like, wow, that's pretty, that's cool. That's cool to know. So, you know, now every time I get a $20 bill, I'm, I'm doing this little number with it. Uh, but it was amazing to me how close the counterfeit looked to the real thing. Um, we're in the book of John, and John talks a lot about um, the idea of, uh, of, uh, of knowing what real Christianity looks like. And this morning, we're getting into a passage where John tells us some kind of interesting things, but John wants us to be able to spot what real Christianity looks like and how to notice who the false teachers are and who the teachers are that you don't want to be listening to. And so we're in 1 John chapter 4 this morning. Let me read, this, read the passage, and then we'll go through section by section. But uh, here's what it starts. He says this, Dear friends, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God, and you have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. They that are from the world, they are from the world, therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. That's how you recognize the spirit of a truth and the spirit of falsehood. So in this passage, John lays out a couple of things. And right off the bat, he tells us something that is very, very unusual for the Bible. And this is what he says. Notice what he says. Dear friends, don't believe. Or some texts will say it this way, believe not. Now, wait a minute. Isn't the Bible about belief? I mean, over and over again, in the Gospel of John, the book of John, he's told us about believing and, and, and all these kinds of things. But here, he starts out by saying, don't believe. It's almost like, wait a minute, how do I believe but not believe? Because what you need to understand is they're not, they, they are opposites, but they are both necessary in order for you to really grow. Uh, one commentator explained it this way. It's like breathing. I tell you to inhale, and you go, and I tell you to exhale, and you go, now do both at the same time. You can't. But one, but both are necessary. They're kind of, they're, they're, a, they're an opposite thing, and that's what John's saying. In order to have belief, there are some things you don't believe. In order to have truth, you have to reject error. You see, we're in a culture, and this is what you need to be aware of, we're in a culture which says everybody can be right. And that's wrong. 
We're in a culture which says accept everybody. That's wrong. You can't accept everything. By nature of accepting something, I reject other things. <coughs> when I go to McDonald's, there are 100 restaurants in town I've just rejected. When I go to Chick-fil-A, there are hundreds of restaurants I've rejected. In fact, I've rejected, um, I think I can name them all, uh, Burger King right next to it. Um, on the other side of it is uh, Long John Silver's and... Huh? What's it? What is it? A&W. Yes. Okay. A&W. Yeah. That's it. A&W. In fact, if you go into Long John Silver's, are you ready for this? You have to reject. You make a choice standing at the counter. Long John Silver's or A&W. You have to reject one. Huh? Wow. If I was a teenager, I could have both. Um, no, you, by nature. And so John's saying this, look, if you're going to be a believer, one of the things that you have to do is there are certain things you're going to have to not believe. And he says what, what he wants us to do is to test stuff. Put it to the test. Literally, the word in the Greek language is, is, is a uh, term from a metallurgist which has the idea of somebody who would take a, a, a piece of gold and determine whether it's 10 carat, 14 carat, 24 carat, who would determine the purity, the quality, the value the, uh, of, that, of that piece, of that stone, um, who would determine whether or not it's a counterfeit bill or a real bill. That's what he's saying. John's saying, look, as a believer, you and I have to do that. You go, well, I don't know. You know, the Bible tells us, like, it's like, you know, the verse everybody knows, judge not that you be not judged. No, go on. The verse says, judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. It doesn't say not to judge. It says be careful how you judge, because you're going to be held to the same standard. And if you make the standard the Word of God, that's the standard God's going to hold you to as well. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to make those kinds of decisions about what's right, What's wrong? What's truth? What's error? And John's very, very explicit here. He says, look, you need to test something. And then here's what John does. He helps us. And he says, I'm going to give you three tests that you can put to whether something is Christian or not Christian. And let's face it, we're in a world where we throw Christian in front of everything, anything, and we think it's okay. And that is not right. And John says, you need to be really, really careful as a believer in what you call Christian and what, you, what is not Christian. You need to be careful in what you accept and what you reject. And don't believe everything, but put it to a test. And I would say this. I'll go so far as to say this. Don't believe everything that comes from this pulpit. You put it to this test. You have an obligation to do that. I have an obligation to do that. Why? Because we're to put it to the test. You ever get into a church where a pastor says, don't question me. You can't get out the door fast enough. Right? It's a dangerous place to be. You put everything to the test. And that's what John's saying. So he gives us the test. And notice, the first thing he says there is, he said, this is how you can recognize every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the Antichrist. 
which you have heard from the have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. He says, "All right, here's the first step." He said, "You want to take a good hard look at what they do with Jesus Christ." Now, again, remember, in context, Gnosticism is prevalent. Gnosticism says Jesus wasn't coming to flesh. Gnosticism said Jesus was a spiritual being. Jesus did not walk. That that the Jesus that walked on the earth was different from the Jesus that was in heaven. That's what they were teaching. Gnosticism was teaching these two worlds never come together. And John was, John's argued for three chapters that, no, these two worlds are intimately entwined. If you say you love God, you better love your brother. If you say that you're, that you're, walk, that you're, you're in light, that you're fellowshipping with him, then you better not walk in darkness. He talks constantly about how these two worlds interact. And here he's saying, you get somebody who says that Jesus Christ does not come in the flesh, that's one of the first marks. In fact, this, this thing is so specific here where it says um, every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. It has the idea, that word acknowledge, has the idea of boldly speak. Not just hesitantly, but boldly speak. Uh, but here's one of my tests in applying this passage. There are a lot of Christians out there, there are a lot of people out there who become popular and at some point... They get on some liberal media show, and the liberal media tries to corner them and get them to say something controversial. And one of the things they like to ask those kind of people is, what do you believe about heaven and hell? What do you believe about how a person gets to heaven? If I hear somebody fudge on that, they're not my guy. If I hear somebody go play that little thing, well, you know, it's just kind of like, you know, we, we, you know, it's like, well, everybody like has their own way. No, no, no. No, my Jesus said, I am the only way, the only truth, the only life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There is no fudge room for saying everybody's included and there are many ways to God. You had better be very bold. You had been very, very clear about that. That's your opportunity to share Christ. That's not where you play the game of fudging around. And that's what John's saying. He's saying, look, one of the first tests, they had better be willing to boldly confess Christ. And by the way, let's understand that when the Bible talks about this idea of acknowledging and confessing, it is not a head knowledge thing. It is a heart knowledge. The devils believe. That doesn't make them a Christian. In fact, in, in Luke, a passage comes to where, where there, are, there are spirits, and there are evil spirits, and the evil spirits say, we know you are Jesus Christ, Son of God. But that doesn't mean they're Christian spirits. No, they refuse to acknowledge him. They refuse, they, or they acknowledge him, they refuse to confess him, to believe in him, to, to put him as their source of eternal life. And John's very, very clear about that. He says, look, <clears throat> first of all, the person in bear boldly say something about Christ. They're not ashamed of, uh, of the fact that they're a believer, that they put their faith and trust in Christ, Christ alone. Then, notice what he goes on to say. He goes on next, and he gives us a second test. He says, you, are, you dear children are from God, and you've overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. They are from the world, and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. The world listens to them. He says, look, one of the reasons they're popular, they speak in the world's language. One of the next tests that I put, that, that John says to put to it is, look at their lifestyle. Does it reflect the teaching of Jesus Christ? Look at the lifestyle. Look at what they're about. 
He says, look, there's a group of people out there that they speak the world's language. That's why the world likes them and listens to them. And Jesus says, you've got to be careful of that. He said, don't, don't get sucked into that idea. Um, and he, and he, loses, he uses this idea. He says, look, you're from God. You walk with God. You follow God. You speak God's language. You know what's right and wrong. You know what pleases your heavenly Father. You can spot it. You can spot it. You can figure it out. You know what makes your daddy happy. And he said, if you don't see people walking like that, don't follow them. Look at the lifestyle. Look at what they represent. Um, he said they have their own language. Just like as believers, we have our own language. Have you ever been somewhere where you've never met somebody for the first time and all of a sudden you're talking to them and you realize there's a bond there that you can't explain? Um, like I say, we, one of the things we got to do is fly fishing. Here's what I learned. There's a whole other language that fly fishermen use. The guy, who, the guy who had set this up for us was a fly fisherman. And so, you know, they're giving, they're, these guys giving, giving us lessons. And, and he's going, okay, he says, now what will happen is you'll see the indicator move. What's an indicator? Bobber. It's a bobber. They call it an indicator. And... And, and, he, and, and he's doing, and he says, and make sure, he says, okay, and make sure now on your back cast, when you finally go to the left, he said, make sure your presentation's correct. What? What? <laughs> the idea is that you're to present the fly on the top of the water so that it looks like a real fly that has dropped into the water is now slowly sinking to the bottom. So the trout goes, oh, that's a dead fly that I want. They call it presentation because you have to present the fly to the fish. We call it getting the lure to where the fish is. I mean, you know, um, it was funny because we actually, we actually had something hit, hit, hit the line and it hit mine because I had done the presentation right. And so a uh, presentation, so the bobber, <laughs> maybe, I don't know. I'm happy it got out there. Um, and, and although, although, the, the, although I did make the outfitter really, really nervous because <laughs> there are a couple of times, uh, there was once that I got so close on the, the whipping the thing out there, it went through his hair. And, and it was at that point he looked at me and he went, hey, by the way, I have a rule that I didn't tell you about. He said, if you hook the outfitter, he said, then you've got to wear a life vest the rest of the time. And I was like, well, I don't want to do that. So I started casting back this way. But anyway, so I'm, I'm doing my presentation right in the bobber and then, and it goes down, and he goes, hey, you got to hit, you got to hit. And he always told us, he said, set the hook hard. Now, you got to understand, these hooks are like this big, okay? Uh, <clears throat> set the hook hard. Well, I'm thinking, I fish for bass in Iowa. Huh? Yeah, you pull the line. Yeah, <laughs> what he meant was, set the hook hard as you jerk the line. I'm a bass guy. So I go, whoa, pull that thing back. He looks at me and goes, what in the world are you doing? I said, I'm setting the hook, man. That's the way we do it in Iowa. And he's like, no, 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 no. He said, you can't set the hook like you. Pull it hard this way. So anyway, it, it, was, a, it was a hoot. Anyway, so we're doing this thing, okay? Um, and, and we do this. But the, the, the fly fishing, they have their own language. And that's what John's saying. He's saying, look, the world's got a language. The world knows who speaks its language. And the world is attracted to those kinds of people. 
He said, look at the lifestyle of who it is you're, you're, you're listening to. Make sure it's compatible with what you believe and who you are. Make sure they match. Um, now, many of you know that um, for years I've been involved in stained glass. I, I love glass. Um, there's just something fascinating to me about glass, uh, particularly stained glass. And so since like 1980s, I have done stained glass. As my younger son got older, um, you know, I, I taught him how to do it. And so we kind of have that in common. That's kind of our thing. This past couple year, this past year, we got involved in, in, in taking glass to a next level called fusing, where we now take glass and melt it together. And so we're in the process of learning all the tricks and, and things about fusing glass. But um, one of the things that we deal with in glass work is something called the coefficient. It's called co otherwise known as, compat- it, it basically think of it as compatibility, all right? Every piece of glass has a coefficient. And what that is, is that's the rate at which when a piece of glass is heated, it expands or contracts as it cools. And every glass has a different coefficient. Um, and it's really, really important when you buy glass that you're going to fuse that you know what the coefficient is that you buy glass with the same co. And so when you get into the, in, into the as a hobby, one of the things you have to decide is what, what, what coefficient glass are you going to predominantly use. Um, and so for us, because in our area, uh, we have to go to Omaha to get our glass, and, and it's System 96 that they sell there, so we buy a, a glass with a coefficient of 96. Okay. Um, so let me help you illustrate that. Um, I, got, I, got, I grabbed four pieces of glass this morning. Okay. Um, these three are 96. They have a coefficient of 96. What that means is that, for the most part, I could take any three of these pieces and melt them together and get them to become as one. So if I cut like a, if I were to take this piece of glass right here and cut a, a rose out and put it onto this piece of glass and melt it, it would melt and it would, it, it would work right. This is a piece of glass. I don't know what the coefficient is. This is just a, we've got a piece of stained glass. I'm not sure what the coefficient of this piece of glass is. But that doesn't mean I can't fuse them. So I could actually go home today if I wanted to, and I could say, you know, I just want to do this. I want to take that, and I want to melt those two together. One of two things is going to happen. I'm going to melt, and then when they go to cool off, um, it's going to crack because the coefficient's too far apart. Or they might fuse together absolutely perfectly. But here's the kicker in glass. That doesn't mean the coefficient was the same. Okay? Let me show you something. Um, throw up that picture that I got, guys, that one of the dots, all those dots. Let me help you understand this. The top piece, and uh, fortunately I couldn't get better pictures, the top piece is a piece of blue glass fused onto a piece of clear glass. If you were to look at those as a piece of glass, here's what you'll see. You'll see a clear piece of glass with three blue dots on it that look like they're perfectly fused together. What you don't know is that the two outside pieces are a different coefficient. And then although they look like they're, they're, they're fused together, when you put them under what's called a polarizing filter, which shows the microscopic aspects of the glass, if you'll notice, the bottom thing is the same piece of glass put under filters. You see that haze around the outside ones? Those are microscopic cracks that you can't see. And if you were to take this piece of glass and make a beautiful thing out of it, under polarizing filter, it has these microscopic cracks. And so over time, 
there's a good chance that even though it looks good, it's going to crack. The piece in the metal is a match-perfect coefficient. It happens to be a bullseye 90. As a 90 coefficient, if you'll notice, there's no haze. Why? Fused together perfectly. Expanded and contracted the exact same. The only way you can identify this is with a polarizing filter. You can't tell by looking. You have to put it under a filter. I say that because it really illustrates what John's saying here. He's saying, look, if you really want to know, you're going to have to put it under a filter. You don't just take everything that comes down the pipe because it has Christian in front of it or because it has religious in front of it. He says, you're going to have to put it under a filter. You're going to have to see what they say about Christ. You're going to have to see what kind of lifestyle they have. You can give us third testament. But he says, you're going to have to make sure it's compatible with what you believe. Even though it may look okay, in the end, it will crack. Think of it this way. Think of it as a, ever got one of those little uh, hairline cracks in your car, windshield? And what happens over time? Most of the time, it starts to run. And most of you, if you're like me, you know, I, we had our car a whole three weeks before we got a crack in it. And, and I, um, I told Clint, I said, okay, I said, I, you know, I said, I want to replace it, but I said, not till winter's over. <laughs> After winter, I'll put a new windshield in it. But, you know, we watched the crack slowly start to run. Why? Because in, in glass world, because compatibility is an issue. Compatibility. And ultimately, that's what those would do. I say this to say this. That's what John's saying. He's saying, look, put it under a test, folks. Make sure. Make sure. And then uh, go back to our passage, guys. He gives us our third test, and here's what he says. <clears throat> we are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Remember, this is John writing. John is an apostle. John has written other stuff. There are other apostles that these people know about, like Peter. Peter has written some stuff up to this point. Paul has written some stuff up to this point. This is one of the last books of the New Testament. So a lot of the New Testament has been written. They may or may not have had copies of it, but they've had the teachings of it. And John says, look, one of the tests is tested by the book, tested by what we've taught you. Test it by what you know is true. Um, to us today, our interpretation of it would be this way. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? You've been given the Bible. You've been given the Holy Spirit of God. You don't need anything else. What does the Bible say? It's like, and Rod said it so well. You know what? If it takes getting a children's Bible, start somewhere. Start somewhere. Every, everybody sitting in here, everybody who stands up here, everybody who opens this book started somewhere. At, but start. You know, it's like me. You know what? I, I've always wanted to fly fish. I at least started this past trip learning. So I got home, and I did what I always do on stuff like that. I ordered a fly rod. <clears throat> I ordered a fly rod, dear. Um, uh, so... Don't worry, I've justified it in my mind. We're good. Um, so if you drive by my house and see me standing out in my front yard, I, I'm trying to learn how to fly fish thing because I had a lot of fun with it, and I want to actually go over to a little bass pond. You can fish for bass with fly rods. Um, it can't be any worse than fishing last year for me, so um, I figure I'm going to try it with a, with a fly rod thing. 
and, and try that. So, but it's one of those things where, you know, it's kind of like, okay, I, I want to learn this as a deal. So I got to start somewhere, and I got a little start a couple of weeks ago, and so now it's going to be trying to learn. It's the same way with your Christian life. You start, you, you, you read your Bible, and, and, and you grow a little bit, and you start to be a little more discerning, and, and, and you put all that together. John's saying, look, one of the tests is, what does God say? Look, you can save yourself so much heartache if you start there. You want to know how to be a better parent? Go see what the Bible says about it. You want to know how to be a better grandparent? Go see what the Bible says. You want to know how to be a better employee or employer? Go see what the Bible says. You want to, you want to learn how to be a better spouse? Go see what the Bible says. You want to know how to be a better neighbor? Go see what the Bible says. It's all there for us. It's already been done. It's already been written. The wisdom, the knowledge, all of that is there. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you haven't figured this out, here's what you're going to learn. What the world says and what this says are often very, very different. Most of the time, they're polar opposites. The world will tell you, if you want to get ahead in business, you be ruthless. The Bible will tell you, be a servant. The world will tell you, you should never settle in your marriage. You should always fight for your rights. The Bible will tell you, serve your spouse. The world will tell you, you know, um, excuse everything. Blame it on environment. If there's a problem with a kid, figure out what the environmental issue is. The Bible will say it's about choices. And choices have consequences. My wife has one goal for kindergartners to teach them. Choices have consequences. And you know what? It's a revolutionary thought to a lot of parents today that choices have consequences. You know, and and my wife, I mean, she'll tell you, she's just, you know, when it comes to, you know, man, no five-year-old gets away with anything with her. I mean, really, you know. She loves them to death, but I'll tell you what, you know, um, and she's, because the the, the administrator's having trouble with his health right now and going through the, the chemo and everything else, a lot of the discipline's fallen on her shoulders. So she gets sixth graders and ninth graders and eleventh graders coming into her room to deal with the discipline problems. And unfortunately for them, she had some of them in kindergarten. <laughs> Choices have consequences. You know? And look, go to the Bible. And, and that's what John says. He says, look, put stuff to the test. Put stuff to the test. So, two takeaways this morning for us. Here's the, here's the first. The first one is this. Be careful what you believe. Don't believe everything comes down the pike. Just because somebody throws the name of Christian in front of it doesn't mean it's Christian. Um, I read an interesting article this week on Christian punk rock music. And here, here's the, here, these poor people. The punk rock group doesn't accept them. The Christian group doesn't accept them. And they just don't know where they fit. And people are going, you know, and I know some of you, some of you music people are going, punk rock music doesn't even fit. I, I get that. I get where you're coming from. I get Christian people going, Christian punk rock. I, I, I get it all. I, I get it all. But put it to the test. What do they say about Christ? What's their lifestyle represent? Do they walk? Do they teach? Do they believe? Do they practice the truths of the Word of God? 
Um, let me say this again. You know me, I don't... If I tried to preach to be popular, I, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. I'm, I'm too opinionated to do it. So here we go. Um, two movies have come out. Uh, are out in the process of being out right now. I don't know if Noah's released yet or not, but Son of God, Noah, a lot of talk in Christian blogs and Christian everything else about these movies and de de Okay, let, 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 me, let me help you a little bit here in taking some of these principles, all right? Here's first thing. I don't get my theology from Hollywood. You understand that? Okay. So if I want to know the story of the Ten Commandments, who, who was the old guy that did the Ten Charlton Heston. I don't watch the Ten Commandments by Charlton Heston and go, that's everything I want to know about the Ten Commandments. I go to Hollywood to watch Hollywood's version of whatever it is they're doing. Um, I, my wife and I go to movies. I, it's something, it's an okay thing for me. It's not like on my highlight thing to do. It is for my wife. That's something she loves to go to movies. So we've compromised. We go to movies together, but I get the big popcorn and the pop, okay? And uh, what's the other thing? The little uh, M&Ms, yeah, peanut-covered M&Ms. I'll go. Get me peanut-covered M&Ms, popcorn, pop. I'll go watch whatever you want me to watch. I don't care. I don't, so I go see chick flicks with her. I, you know, it's just being together with her, my pop, my popcorn, and my M&Ms. I'm good. Um, so that's our thing. But when we go to a Hollywood movie, I understand that whatever movie it is, Whatever it's about has been Hollywoodized, okay? So if I go to watch the story of Lincoln from Hollywood's perspective, I realize it's Hollywood. If I want theology, I go to the Bible. And if I want to know if that's a Christian movie, then I put it alongside of the Bible. I don't like playing that game for me. So for me, I look at it and say, it's Hollywood, so I would, you know, if I would go and see either one of those movies, I would realize this is Hollywood's interpretation of this deal. This is not where I'm going to walk out and go, oh, I believe everything that Hollywood said. Anymore than I believe everything that's on the Internet. All right? You have to be discerning that way and realize those kinds of things. Huh? See, this is what I think. This, okay, this is my spin on it. And I get what Hollywood's doing. Hollywood's realizing there's a whole market of Christian people out there that they need to reach, that, that they're missing their money. That's what it's all about. It's all, it's all about money, okay? It's not about ministry. It's about money. So I realize what they're doing. But you know what? Here's where I sit as a Christian. There are unchurched and unsaved people who will walk into that movie and walk out with questions. Guess what that just handed me as a believer? a phenomenal opportunity to get them to search the Bible, to get them to ask questions, to get to talk to them about the story of Noah. Can you imagine having a discussion about the story of Noah with your coworkers? Hey, let me ask you something. What do you think about Noah? Noah? What's Noah? Hey, see any great movies? Yeah, you know, my wife and I, we went to like that Noah movie. Really? What did you think? Have you ever read the story in the Bible about it? Wow, i got a whole new world now. Be discerning, folks. Be discerning about it. Test it. Don't, don't, don't believe everything that comes down the pipe because they throw Christian in front of it. Just because it's in the Christian bookstore doesn't mean it's Christian. Just because it's in the Christian section on, on, uh, 
iTunes doesn't mean it's Christian. Look at what they say. Look about the relationship about Christ. Look at their lifestyle. Look at what they believe about the Bible. Then you can decide whether or not somebody you really want to embrace and follow and, and, and passionately go after and listen to. The second thing is this. Test it. Test it, test it, test it. If I take two pieces of glass and I don't know the compatibility and I put them together and I fuse them and it looks great, I'm not going to do anything with that piece of glass long term until I put it under some polarizing filters and made sure there's no hairline cracks in it. Because over time it won't stand. There are things that you base your life on if you're not careful. Over time it won't stand. Because it's built on false stuff. Make sure it's compatible with the Word of God, with the teachings of Christ, with your faith and trust in Christ. And John says, that's how you know. So I am for a group of believers who are discerning, who are willing to put stuff to the test, who are willing to not be so gullible, but to really check stuff out. Because John says we have an obligation to do that. And so I, you know me as a pastor, I welcome it. You know, and, and one of the things I enjoy about Wednesday night is, you know, everybody knows Wednesday night's time to ask any questions about Sunday or any questions that, that come up. And we get some doozies sometimes. And sometimes just to rock the boat, I'll ask a question. Eh, I said this, what do you think about that? Because uh, that's what happens when I get home. You know, you know first of all, I, most, most lunch conversations start like this. Honey, did what I say today make any sense at all? That's how most of it starts. And as every good wife would say, yes, honey, you did fine. <laughs> Which does me no good whatsoever. Uh, but, um, you know, but that's, that's it. I mean, you know, put it to the test. It's okay. It's what we're called to do. And be, be careful. Because like John says, there's a lot of Antichrist out there. And there's a lot of Antichrist coming. There's a lot of things coming down the pipe. Be really, really careful. Because... We're called to do that. That's what he wants us to do. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the day, for the time. Help us this week, Lord, in all we do. That, Lord, uh, we would focus on that which is right, that which is true, that which we should embrace. And, Lord, help us to look at our own lives, Lord. Some things that we're doing that aren't pleasing to you. Some things, Lord, that we need to stop believing that we have embraced. Lord, help us to be honest with ourselves and with you. And, Lord, to put some stuff to the test. And, Lord, as believers, may we be discerning. May we be like the Bereans where we, we search the Scriptures and we test things out. We, we really, really believe with all of our heart and follow you and do what's right. And, Lord, use us this week. Lord, we've got a world that needs Christ. We have a world that needs hope. We have a world that needs a future. And, uh, Lord, we possess it. So help us to be willing to share it when those opportunities come. And we'll give you the honor and praise these things we ask in your name.